You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You're listening to the Stakes in the Six podcast. Here are your co-hosts, Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hopton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 72 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, Alex Hobson and Peter Barrichini. Boys, lots to talk about tonight, uh, as always. Uh, big trade for Leafs Nation. Uh, Brooksy was back for a split second and gone again. But first, how's it going this week, Peter? Uh, it's going good. Um, you know, last, last week I was supposed to do a quick correction from two weeks ago, but my phone was like on the fridge and I only had 10% left and I had to go and charge it mid-episode. So I was like, couldn't do that. But um, a few weeks ago, I, I want to get this out of the way before I get into my week. But I made a comment about Mark Shag saying something about that, about Rocky Wirtz and Tortorella uh, getting a full refund. The exact quote that Mark said was, if Rocky Wirtz's words warrant no punishment, John Tortorella should get a full refund. So that was the exact comment. I was on the, I was on the right path, but I just wanted to get the full wording down. So that little bit of housekeeping is, you know, all good. But as for my week, I, I'm doing good, man. Um, you know, I, I, I showed you guys that uh, I bought a nice little piece of memorabilia and I think it would be nice to, you know, just talk about it right now. I, I managed to get my hands on a signed Connor Bedard picture from the U18 tournament and man, probably worth it. You know, this kid's going to be really good. So I got a piece of memorabilia before he even hits the NHL. So that's kind of that's kind of cool. It's pretty fitting that our, our prospect guy at the Hockey Writers grabbed himself a <laughs> Connor Bedard signed photo. But, um, yeah, as you, can see, as you can see, memorabilia, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I, I'm always on board for, for getting some new stuff in, in, the, uh, in the cave. One more, one more piece added to the potential expansion of a work in progress slowly man cave for me. So, yeah. There you go. There you go. Alex, how's your week been, buddy? Uh, it's been a good week so far. Uh, you you boys know what my favorite part of doing the up doing the pod on Sunday nights is the updates that I like to bring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so our uh, as you all know, my D10 ball hockey team, French and Fried, we uh, just kicked off our playoff run on Saturday night, and uh, 
<laughs> only five teams in our league this year, so there's only two playoff rounds. But uh, we, we went right into the uh, the semifinals. 3-3 three, three with 23 seconds left. Guess who scored the game-winning goal? There you boy. go. There you there go, go boy. <laughs> yep. It was uh, – we, we, we almost pulled the Leafs because we were up 3-1 and we had a pretty comfortable lead. And then, uh, yeah, gave away two goals in a span of two minutes. I wasn't feeling too good. And I, I decided, you know what, I just – I don't want to go to overtime. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. Picked, uh, picked top right corner, far side coming in. And, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're going to go for the sweep on Thursday. So, this time next week I'll have an update for you guys. What was your selly for the game-winning goal? I didn't have too much of a selly, to be completely honest. I was, uh, I, I, I was surprised it went in. <laughs> I, I know it's boring, but the thing is, is I, I, I kind of – the shot was a little bit of a floater, and I actually wasn't expecting it to go in. I just tried to throw it on net so that we could, we could get a rebound. So, uh, yeah, I think I just settled for, like, the basic Jason Spets fist pump across, across the chest, you know. You know the one that he always does when he, when he scores yep. that slap shot from the point? Yeah. Pure, pure vintage um, class, eh? Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So passing uh, down. Yeah, you know, I didn't. Uh, I didn't play any any rep sports growing up. I didn't play any pro sports. I only. I never got past house league. So I got to flex on these big sports moments whenever I can. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so uh, we're we're going for the we're going for the sweep, the two game sweep on uh, Thursday. So hopefully we'll uh, I'll, I'll have a I'll have a post game to tell you guys about next week and a little preview for our, our finals matchup. Should we get there? That's beautiful, cool. beautiful. Well, boys, uh, my week was. Uh, my week was great. I was uh, I was off on vacation for the week, so uh, my wife and I did a little two day getaway without the without the little man, um, just north of Barrie. I uh, went to nice. what we call glamping. Here we don't camp, we glamp. <laughs> so we had uh, we had a nice tent with a wood burning stove, and we had the heated throw on the bed and uh, toaster oven, coffee press, nice wood sauna out outside of. Uh, just a short walk from our tent um, and cooked steak and, and a little surf and turf on the open fire. So it was, uh, you, you, uh, you single-handedly filled me up by posting that picture of the steaks. Yeah, oh, that was, it was, it was phenomenal. First time I've ever done it, but phenomenal. Yeah. It was Morgan, you're going to get killer. A, you're going to get a kick out of this. When you should, when you posted the picture of inside your tent, I immediately thought of, and I think you know where I'm going to go with this. Harry Potter for the Quidditch World Cup. Yeah. Where they yes. go in and you see it's like very elaborate and extravagant extravagant with the way everything is set up. That's what it reminded me of. I couldn't okay, see so Alex, I was Alex, that- Alex is a Potterhead too, so he knows mm-hmm. what I'm talking about as well. There you go. I was yeah, worried I was just- about which dragon I was gonna pull. <laughs> I was just gonna say Forbes. I hope they're. Uh, I hope uh, no Death Eaters uh, uh, ruined your experience. Your 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 little weekend getaway with your wife there. Yeah, no, it was it was good. Uh, I did I did uh, felt a little under the weather most of the week, uh, so that was a little rough. But um, fortunately for for me and my family, I I took one of the uh, beautiful home tests and came up negative. So I'm I'm doing I'm doing beautiful. good. I'm bouncing back and. Uh, just happy to be here on on a beautiful Sunday night, uh, talking yeah. hockey with you boys. So, uh, with without further ado, let's jump right into it. Um, I mean, I think we got to kick it off with with some Leaf talk and uh, big trade coming after a six three loss to the St. Louis Blues on Saturday night. Um, Arizona, Nick Ritchie, Nick Ritchie's heading to Arizona along with a conditional second round pick in 2025, which could turn into a third round pick in 2023. Um, 
as cap friendly will tell you 2025 is the furthest we've seen a pick traded so there you go kyle dubas making history right there uh trading the first 2025 pick um but uh in return they get ryan dezingle who hit waivers basically right away um and i i know you guys told me how to pronounce this right before the show but uh Ilya labushkin there you go. Uh, coming back yeah. the other way. So the Russian bear is coming back to Toronto and definitely fills a hole uh, when you're talking about the Toronto blue line. I mean, that's that's been kind of the conversation for, I want to say the year, but it's been the conversation for many years now for the Leafs in, in trying to bolster that blue line. Um, Peter, let's, let's throw it to you first. What are your thoughts on this trade? Uh, what are your thoughts on the Nick Ritchie era in Toronto? Um, I mean, big win for the Maple Leafs. It may not seem like it, but, you know, getting a more steady, a little bit more mobile uh, version of a Justin Hall kind of player, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about where Labushkin is going to fit into this lineup. Is he going to be in the third pair, second pairing? Because he has played those top four minutes with Jacob Chikram previously before. Um, but again, he, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where Sheldon Keith places him because he, again, no offense whatsoever, only has like nine assists this whole entire season, but he does do a great job. And Jay Fresh posted, um, you know, his sort of like underlying number stack card with like zone entries, puck battles, denials and everything like that. And he's very effective in puck battles and denying zone entries and breaking plays up and being a factor in transition, like I said, a little bit more speed than he already has um, compared to Justin Hall. So if the Maple Leafs want to try and experiment with him on the second pairing with Jake Muzzin, Jake Muzzin can serve as that puck-moving two-way kind of player. Lebushkin just sort of steps back. Or, you know, he fits in, He fits really well into that third pairing if Rasmus Sandin is going to be his uh, defense partner. Um for the foreseeable future. I mean, anything can happen at this point. And as for Nick Ritchie, I mean, it, it, it's unfortunate that it didn't work out after they gave him so many opportunities to succeed. And I just think that with his, with the direction and how quick they play with the pace with the Toronto Maple Leafs, it just didn't seem like Nick Ritchie, no matter where he was in the lineup, he wasn't consistent enough to keep up. He would have his moments from like one or two games and then fall flat for another three, four, or five. And it just didn't quite work out. His cap was going to be a major hindrance on the team. The fact that they got rid of him, um, they have they brought in two UFAs, technically one if uh, Ryan Dezingle gets claimed on waivers or if he gets sent down, won't count. But Nick, uh, the fact that both of their cap hits combined to just under Nick Ritchie's 2.5 NHL contract, I believe it was 2.45, it's great asset management. And the fact that you were able to move that contract and just only give up a second or a third, depending on what Arizona chooses, is a win in itself. No salary retention. This is really great. But I do hope or wish Nick Ritchie the best because, you know, the Coyotes do see some promise in him. It wasn't happening in Toronto. It didn't happen. I mean, it happened with the Bruins, but not so much here. Hopefully he could find his footing over there because they do have value in him. And yeah, I just wish him nothing but the best, but a big, big win in bringing in Labushkin. Um, I think maybe, I, I believe, um, I'm going to say it was Tic Tac Tomar who said that, you know, we all judge David Camp on his defensive abilities 
And you know what? We're seeing the benefits pay off. Maybe let's hold the gun, uh, not jump the gun on the Bushkin and just be like, always defense first. Maybe he can break out and find his footing here, get more of an opportunity on a team where, you know, he's not going to be stifled defensively as much because Toronto does play a heavy offensive game and they get the puck out quick. So we could see a David Camp camp comparison in sort of uh, compared to Labushkin. And yeah, Tic-Tac-Toe uh, really, you know, made a really great comparison with that. Alex, I saw your tweet after the, after the trade regarding um, Dubis trying – finding his way out of these bad contracts and, and how he continually is able to move contracts like Nick Ritchie. Um, just quickly, your thoughts on, on his ability to get that done and the fact that, you know, they're, they're moving Ryan Dezingle right to waivers. Is that kind of suggesting that there's more to come, especially seeing as Labushkin is a guy that's not under contract as of right now for next season? Yeah, I mean, you know, when I, I, I'm seeing a lot of people, I, I saw a lot of people kind of making fun of Leafs fans, saying like, "Oh well, you know, they're, 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 everyone's calling Kyle Dubas, saying this is a Kyle Dubas masterclass trading for a guy who's got like one goal in 200 NHL games or something like that." But I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, like Peter said, the cap space clearing Richie's contract was a win in itself, and you know, reading about. Nick Ritchie and how I, I don't know if you guys read the piece I believe it was by Jonas Siegel I want to say with the athletic uh, a couple days ago about sort of where Nick Ritchie's head was at um, it, it, it's unfortunate it didn't work out here and I believe it I can't remember I can't remember if it was Siegel or James Myrtle I think it was one of those two but one of them floated the idea that the Leafs were going to have to give up a second or a third round pick to try and uh, sweeten the pot to get someone to take Nick Ritchie and they did end up having to do that but like the fact that the Leafs not only got rid of Richie's contract, but they were able to turn that into two assets that could potentially help them down the run, I think is a win in itself. And, you know, considering what everyone was expecting, I think, I don't know about you guys. I was expecting if Nick Richie was going to get traded this year, it was going to be for like a conditional seventh round pick along with a second round pick just to get a team to take his salary. So the fact that they addressed one of their needs, which was a stay at home physical defenseman, um, a, a Zach Bogosian type of player, which they've obvi- obviously been missing from last year. I think that alone is a win. And <clears throat> in terms of Ryan Dezingle, you know, I, I, I hope that he doesn't get claimed because I, I do think that, you know, consider that this guy has played for, I believe it's, he, he was in Carolina for about as brief a stint as you can get, if I can't, if I recall correctly. And he hasn't really played for a playoff team that actually had aspirations to like make a run in the playoffs since before COVID. So I think that if you, you know, consider he spent most of this time playing with the senators and the coyotes since COVID started. Um, I think if you give him a couple of games in the bottom six, he's an energy guy. He can throw a hit. He can even fight every now and then. And he did score 23 goals once upon a time. So I think he's a guy that the Leafs could use down the stretch for depth. And, you know, if, if someone ends up picking up Ryan Dezingle on waivers, then, then it, it is what it is. You know, the Leafs have a pretty, I think the Leafs forward core as of right now, unless they go out and get a, a player with term, like a guy like a JT Miller or a Travis Konechny or something like that. I think the Leafs forward core is more or less set in stone. So if, if the Zingle gets claimed on waivers, it is what it is. Um, there, there's no other way around that. Uh, to me, I think the fact that they put them on waivers tells me that the Leafs did not want to, 
uh, keep Lilligren out of the lineup because if they wanted to save the cap space, they could have easily sent Lilligren to the minors. But, you know, they've got the back-to-back coming up uh, today against Montreal and then tomorrow against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So, um, to me, that says that the Leafs have some serious confidence in Lilligren and they don't want to send him down, which is understandable. And uh, they're willing to risk Dezingo getting claimed on waivers again. And if it happens, then it is what it is, like I said. But uh, I do think that Dezingle has potential to be an energy player and a guy that can really give this team a boost. And uh, I just want to take a second to plug one of my own tweets here that I, that I put out because um, I, I'm pretty sure we've had this discussion or a similar discussion on the pod before. But I don't know if you guys saw. Um, <laughs> Ilya Labushkin is going to be wearing number 26 with the Leafs. We all know about the history of the number 26, at least least in recent history. Uh, This is my tweet. I said, Labushkin joins a long list of Leaf legends to wear number 26, including Mike Van Ryan, Ben Smith, Nick Shore, Daniel Winnick, Nikita Soshnikov, Par Lindholm, Jimmy Vesey, and Stefan Nason. (laughs) So hopefully Labushkin can, uh, can, 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 can pad that list a little bit and, uh, you know, not, not have his fate turn out like the, like the rest of the guys on that list. But, um, uh, and one more thing I wanted to touch on, sorry, before I throw it back to you, Forbes. Um, in terms of defensive pairings, if the Leafs don't go out and get another defenseman, or at least for the time being, what I want to see them do on the defensive core is uh, top pairing stays intact with Morgan Riley, TJ Brody. And then I'd like to see Rasmus Sandin and Ilya Labushkin as the second pairing. And then I'd like to see Muzzin and Lilligren as the bottom pairing. Because the way I see it, Labushkin's a pretty mobile player. But at the same time, like you said, Peter, he doesn't really bring any offense at all. And he's a guy that you should be relying on to stay at home and, uh, you know, protect the front of the net, clear bodies out in front of the net, uses physicality, et cetera. And to me, I, I don't think that putting him next to Jake Muzzin will, will help Jake Muzzin at all. I don't think that's going to do him any favors. I think both Labushkin and Muzzin need a puck-moving defenseman. And, you know, Muzzin, he's had a bit of a rough season. We all know this. And he's trying to get back to form. And I think a big, a big thing for the Leafs heading down the stretch towards the playoffs is making sure that Jake Muzzin gets back to form and kind of gets back to the way that he's been over the past couple of years. And I think the best way to do that is by putting him with a puck moving defenseman to allow him to stay at home and play more of a defensive minded game and maybe shelter his minutes a little bit, which, you know, nobody wants to do that for a guy that's being that that's being paid 5.5 million. But at the same time, I think you're better off having a second pairing of Sandine and Labushkin and then giving Muzzin, you know, a little bit of a break and kind of shell. I want to say, I don't want to say sheltering him necessarily, but you know, put the workload. Yeah, exactly. Like he's coming back from an injury. He's had his struggles this year playing alongside Justin Hall. I think, I think with Hall's struggles, Muzzin's kind of been forced to take on more of a puck moving role. And I don't think he's good in that role. I think he's much better suited as a stay at home guy. So I think that limiting his minutes a little bit and giving him a puck moving guy to allow him to play his role that he know he, he knows he can play will help. Um, and uh, overall, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the move. Just like, just like Peter said. Um, I don't think it was, you know, a, a freaking masterclass. Like some people are saying like, Oh, this is a, this is a ridiculous steal. But at the same time, I think that they were able to shed Nick Ritchie's contract, which is a win in itself. And you got a guy who can add energy to the bottom six. And you got a guy who will, uh, in my opinion, Labushkin's an upgrade on uh, both Justin Hall and Travis Dermott right now. So um, I think getting him into the lineup as soon as possible is going to be crucial. And uh, overall, I think it's a great move for, for the Leafs. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, both of you guys kind of hit it, you know, right on the head. Um, 
the fact one of the things I noted in my takeaways piece from the St. Louis game was that they lacked physicality. They lacked that grit. They lacked that playoff defenseman that we've talked so often about. And, you know, while Labushkin's only played for Arizona, I mean, the, the takeaway, the, the fact that he's only a minus six on a team that is probably arguably one of the most garbage teams in the league right now, um, is telling of what he's been able to do this season. Uh, he's eating up about 18 minutes a game. Uh, he's had 94 hits and 60 block shots. So he's a guy that's willing to sacrifice the body in so many areas. And that's something that the Leafs need on the back end because, you know, as much as Muzzin wants to do it, I think Muzzin, you know, he's gotten away a little bit from that because of his injury history. I think, you know, he's, he's, his, his body's a little bit more battered and bruised than it used to be. Um, so bringing in a guy that's, you know, 27 years old um, can add a lot to uh, that, that, that area of the game for the Leafs. I'm okay with the fact that he's not an offensive guy. I love the fact that they've got a stay at home guy. That's what they were looking for. That's what they needed. Um, I, again, you know, Alex, you mentioned it Dezingle, If he gets, if he gets claimed on waivers, so be it. I think we're, I think we're understanding that the four depth is there. Um, you know, there is an op- there is a chance that maybe, yeah, they move Engvall at some point before the deadline. Um, so it opens up a hole, but we've talked about the fact that Hosang's waiting in the winds. We've talked about the fact that, um, you know, there, there is opportunity for some young guys in the system to move up. Nick Robertson's another guy that comes to mind. Eventually, I know everyone's been kind of, you know, talking about getting Amirov uh, over at some point as well. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, depth in, in the lease organization and, uh, to, to worry about a guy who, you know, may work, may not work out. Um, that might be, that might be something that, you know, is not as much of a big deal. Um, but that said, I, I love the trade. I, I think shedding yourself of Nick Ritchie's, um, contract is huge. I, uh, you know, I, I, for his sake, I hope he does figure it out in Arizona and is able to bounce back. I mean, this is a, this is the first round pick that we're talking about that, you know, hasn't really worked out aside from his short, his stint in, in Boston. So um, that said uh, for Arizona, I think we're all on the same page knowing that uh, where they're going to be playing for the next three years, they're obviously okay with taking lesser value. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them take the third round pick in 2025 rather than, you know, or, or sorry. T- yeah. 2023 is the third round pick. Uh, yeah. 2025 is, is the second round pick. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's a win. I, I like the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think Labushkin's going to be a, a good fit and I, I don't think the Leafs are done. I think with him coming in, you're going to, like you said, he's an upgrade on Hall. He's an upgrade on Dermott. Those two, I, I can see them going and I can see Engvall possibly going as well. Yeah. And I you would, know what's just to add on to what you were saying, Forbes, um, I don't think the Leafs are done either. I think the fact that they've still got their first round pick on the table and they've still got all their top prospects. I think that leads me to believe that Dubas might be in the market for a guy with term. Like he said, he, he said, excuse me. He said he wanted to trade for a guy with term. And um, I I think if you're going to trade for a guy with term, those assets would have to be on the table. And 
Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's done making moves either. I, I think that this was a good move, and, you know, you kind of – we're going to touch on Trailer Park Boys in a bit. I think this is a good way of getting two birds stoned at once. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, getting, <laughs> getting rid of Nick Ritchie's contract and bringing in that bottom-pairing uh, physical defenseman. Like, I, I think we've all been talking about it lately, that it's, it's a need of theirs. Um, and I, I think there is one big move left in the chamber for Dubas at least, because the way I see it, no, we all know how bullshit the playoff system is. The fact that one of Leafs, uh, the one of Toronto, Tampa Bay and Florida is going to be out in the first round. I think everyone can agree. That's pretty stupid, but at the same time, um, the playoff format as of right now doesn't really care about anyone's feelings and the Leafs have to find a way around it. And I think that as long as they see Tampa Bay and Florida upgrading their team, which I think we can all bet that they will, uh, the Leafs are going to do everything they can to stay afloat and remain alongside those teams. And for that reason alone, I think that I, I don't think Dubas is done making moves. You mentioned some really good potential line combinations, especially defensively. And obviously Dermot and Hall's spot on the lineup, they're now, you know, worried about their job like there's job security worries with those two but you know you mentioned sending in labushkin as a potential second pairing and that would work out really well but i was also like you know going into my own line blender and what if rasmus sandin you really want a solid top four and you want a puck mover with Jake Muzzin to try and assume that stay-at-home role and try and decrease that and mentality for him to jump into the play quite a bit. The pairing of him and Sandine against Pittsburgh early on looked great, had some struggles later on, but Sandine looked really comfortable on the right-hand side. If they don't go after a defenseman and they still keep Dermot and Hall in the fold, do would you have Muzzin and Sandine as one pairing and then Dermot and Labushkin as another? See, that's a tough question because I would want to see Labushkin with a puck mover, but my I don't really have any and I don't really have any confidence in Travis Dermott to really be that yeah. puck moving defenseman. Like the problem with him is that I think we've talked about Dermott on the on the pod like this before. And you know, he does kind of fit the description because he is a mobile guy, he's a good skater, and I think you know, you could rely on him to step on, step into a little bit more of an offensive role, but at the same time, is he capable of putting up that kind of offense and really being that consistent puck mover? Um, I think that that's certainly an option if they, if it comes to that, but in my honest opinion, I'm not sure that Dubas is done making moves when it comes to the back end. I think he's, I I think he's probably going to go after one more guy and, um, maybe put Timothy Lilligren into a seventh D role as, as we get closer to the playoffs. And that's not a knock on Lilligren at all, because personally I've been very encouraged by his development this year. I think next year he is absolutely going to be a, he's going to be a guy that will stick in the lineup and he, he won't, he won't be juggling. He won't be juggled between the Marlies and the Leafs Mm -hmm. anymore. I think next year he'll be ready, but is he a guy that I want playing every single game in the playoffs this year when the stakes have never been higher for the Leafs to finally have some sort of success past the first round? In that instance, I'm not sure I'm quite there yet with Lilligren. I think Dubas would rather have a guy who's maybe been there before and has some term on him that can, um, that can sort of, uh, sort of make things easier for all the defensemen on the core and uh, sort of improve their team defense as a whole in that sense. But 
Um, it, it is certainly an option if the Leafs stay put right now, then I'd rather see Dermott on that bottom pairing with Labushkin versus Hall. And obviously that's going to happen because you've got, um, you've got two right-handed defensemen on the bottom pairing in that case. But uh, it's a good problem to have. The Leafs have options right now, and I'm interested to see what they do with uh, Dermott and Hall over the next, uh, next couple days. I'm gonna I'm gonna go one step further. I I do believe that you're uh, you're onto something. He's not done on the back end. I think by oh, the by the time the deadline comes around, I think both Dermot and Hall are moved. Um, and my next piece coming out in the next two days here at the Hockey Writers, um, will will give you another name that uh, is worth looking at uh, on the back end for the Leafs heading into the playoffs. So wonder who that could be. Yeah, let's. <laughs> let's I don't te- think you mentioned him, Forbes. Let's tease I, it a little bit, but. Ooh. Let's face it, it's going to be something that we would not expect. And I know, Alex, you mentioned this uh, or earlier on the Maple Leafs Lounge where we were recording that, you know, Dubas pulled, like, Labushkin was sort of in that mix, but he wasn't, like, the go-to name compared to other no, names. Never. I, I, I'm glad that Labushkin was brought in because I did talk about him in a deal for Travis Dermott. Again, all by different scenario. But Dubas is going to shock us. And it's going to be in a really good way. As as is tradition, that's what he does. Honestly, like who like who saw the Jake Muzzin trade coming when it happened? Who saw the Jack Campbell trade coming when that happened? None. The Jack Campbell the one, time. I the Campbell one. I think it did make sense because they were struggling oh. goaltending wise, but it's still the timing was still very coincidental and off where it just came out of the blue. So yeah, that's just it. Like it, like obviously everyone knew they were in the market for a backup goalie because of how bad Michael Hutchinson had been at that point, mm-hmm. but. But no, I don't think I don't think Jack Campbell's name was really floated out there. I think everyone just kind of figured, okay, Dubas is going to trade for a backup goalie at some point. And uh, he he, as I said, to bring this up again, he got two birds stoned at once. He brought in, uh, um, <laughs> he brought in Kyle Clifford to add some grit as well. And uh, yeah, so um, that that that's just it though. Like you, you said it, Peter. I mean. You know, we've been floating around Josh Manson over these past few days. We've been talking about Scott Mayfield. We've been talking about Luke Shen. Um, Labushkin's name had kind of appeared here and there. Zach Whitecloud, yeah. I, I'm um, adamant Labushkin's that it's going to be name, Zach Whitecloud. <laughs> Labushkin's name had kind of appeared in the spotlight here and there, but it was never really – no, I, I, like no one like, – like you said this morning, like no one knew that Labushkin to, to Toronto had any life at all until Friedman mentioned it on the at second intermission during yeah. the Leaf game. And then next thing you know, two hours later, he's a Leaf. So um, I, I do think that there, there's going to be this – there's going to there's gonna be a trade that's going to happen and it's going to catch a lot of people off guard because the Leafs do a very good job of not letting anything leak to the media in that sense. Peter, you're going to have to add that uh, white cloud to that list of tattooed names that you're going to have on your body at some point. Anybody who's tuned into Peter's shows on the Hockey Writers knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh <laughs> But uh, anyways, boys, uh, we're talking about guys coming in. We're talking about guys that, that you know, are, are leaving as well from the organization. Adam Brooks, uh, I mean, should this guy even bother unpacking his bags anymore? Uh, claimed off of waivers from Vegas, the Leafs get him back. Then he's put on waivers again in a surprise move, and the Winnipeg Jets claim Adam Brooks. Now, he is, he is from Winnipeg. Uh, he's a, he's a Manitoban. Um, and, uh, now he hopefully will get a chance to play in his hometown with the jets. Any thoughts on the, uh, 
cup of coffee that uh, he had with the, the Leafs organization once again. You got, No one will ever be able to convince me that the Jets didn't claim him out of spite. I, oh, they honest did. to God. Because like, Honestly, mean? like – why like why didn't they claim him the day before when Vegas put him on waivers? Why did they not claim him that day? If if it wasn't out of spite, then why didn't they claim him the day before? I'm pretty yeah. sure the Jets come before the lease in the waiver order. I'm not you don't quote me on that. I'm not hundred percent, but I'm pretty sure the Jets come first. So I just don't understand why why they why they decided like how coincidental is that? Out of nowhere, they decide when as soon as the lease put him on waivers and they're they're clearly waving him for the purpose of getting him back with the Marlies and hoping that they can keep him like in their organization. The jets all of a sudden decide I want Adam Brooks. Like, come on, come on. I mean, I mean if, I, even if, if it was out of spite, I mean, there's still six in the Western or in the yeah. central division. So it go ahead, have your fun. If, if you're Adam Brooks though, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a good feeling to have all these teams want you. I mean, I, I'm looking at the silver lining here because yeah, you know, at a certain point, you just you're like, hell, am I gonna get in any games? Or I'm just gonna keep flying from from city to city. Um, but yeah, I mean, or should I not pack, unpack at all? Yeah, you talk about journeyman. I mean, this guy this guy's got more jerseys on his wall with his last name on it than uh, I think anybody in, in the oh. history of the league. But um, I mean, yeah, it there were some some nice things said about Brooksy in the in the uh, Leafs organization. Unfortunately, he, again, he didn't stick. I'm sure if the opportunity rises again, the Leafs will be looking to to bring him back. But um, you know, it, it's it's been a pleasure, Adam Brooks. Uh, thanks for thanks for the uh, for the memories. And it's just really unfortunate because it looked like this season maybe he was going to start off with the Maple Leafs, and then they waived him because of the depth and the or the amount of depth that they have, and you knew there was going to be a risk. Montreal claims him. You know, what assist in four games? We thought, okay, he's going he's gonna to play well. Goes on waivers. Vegas, Vegas picks him up, two goals in seven games. And it's not like he's not producing. He's still producing no matter what. Limited games, limited ice time, and he's still doing, like, you know, damage as a fourth line or depth player. And then now, Leafs get him. Everyone is like, yes, get him back in the lineup. Waivers again. And then Timothy Lilligren also went on waivers because of the transaction itself all by short time because he got called back up. And then now – Lilligan didn't waivers. go on waivers, did he? Not on waivers, but he got sent down. You had me for a second. Sorry. I was like, there, there is no chance of the least have put Lilligan on waivers. My bad. He's waiver exact. <laughs> I, 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 like, okay, you know what I meant. He got, he got yeah, sent yeah, down yeah. as a result of okay. the move. But, I mean, um, every listener, a heart attack as we talk about Lilligan. <laughs> I was going to say, there's, they didn't put Lilligan on waivers, did they? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go burn down my, all my leaf jerseys. If they did that. Viewers, don't <laughs> worry. Timothy Lilligan will, is still waiver exempt. Nothing will okay. happen. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's just a weird situation how that played out. And that led to the whole Sandine Muzzin pairing against Pittsburgh, where, you know, that probably would have been Lilligren's spot. But because of the Brooks transaction, you didn't know what was going to happen. So you needed a body there. So why not test that out? But yeah, it's just, just really weird, man. I, I, I just want him to have success. That's it. He, he, he seems like a really great guy. You, you, again, you're hearing great comments from him as a teammate. And it's just like, man, j- j- just get him into the lineup and give him some stability because I'm pretty sure he's had enough too, you know? I mean, I mean, like you said, Andrew, great that teams want him. It's just now, 
inserting him into the lineup, giving him that time. Because if he has to do it another, like, go on waivers and then wait for another team to pick him up, I mean, like, that that, that also just shoots your confidence as well, no? I heard he's uh, getting his pilot's license so he can just fly the plane from now on and not have to worry <laughs> about getting his own ticket. But, um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 definitely, like I said, it's, it's great to know that you're wanted on whether it's out of spite or not, teams are, are making the move to bring in. But um, yeah, I mean, it does, it does kind of shoot your confidence when you're not getting the ice time and you're just getting the air miles. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully he sticks with Winnipeg and, and they keep him in the, in the lineup. And, you know, maybe if Pionk keeps going around doing his stuff, he'll get injured and, and there'll be a spot for him in the lineup. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Dirtiest team in the league. I still, I still stand by that. We're going uh, there. We're going there. Definitely we're going there. You know, I'm going there. I don't hold back. Of course. Um, anyways, uh, boys, before we jump to your, uh, your trailer park boys, uh, uh, little rendition here. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the, the special teams in Toronto. Uh, not only is the power play clicking, uh, historically clicking, um, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe if they continue on this pace, they're going to be the second best power play efficiency in NHL history at third, like 33 or 34%. I could be wrong. I could, I, I'm probably just pulling that one out of my ass. Um, but well, regardless, if you're pulling it out of your ass, then I'm not going to stop you because I don't know any better. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> regardless, they yeah. are, uh, they're, let's, they're, let's check the all time yeah. power play percentage. You do that while I go on my spiel this here. Is, if I could, if I could in the six, this find sticks it. in the six where we make up stats. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta have some fun with it, right? But um, yeah, I mean, the Leafs are clicking at all. You know, every opportunity that they're getting, they're 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 creating opportunities. Um, both power play units are 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 playing well. Uh, you know, Bunting's been been so efficient on the power play as well. Uh, and then their penalty kill is creating offense, and that's something that uh, you know. I know, I know Peter wanted to get into, but I know he's he's kind of doing a fact check here for me. So, Alex, their penalty kill right now, Labushkin is a guy that can come in and add to that. They're all they're they are already playing a top notch penalty kill. Is this this is something that we talked about at the end of last year's playoffs? Something that they struggled with with special teams. What have we seen this year that could maybe hint at them going into the playoffs a little stronger on, on both sides of the special teams? Well, for in terms of the power play, I think the main thing that's helped the Leafs this year is that they've focused on not being so predictable. Because, you know, if you watch the playoffs, well, not even just the playoffs, if you watched the Leafs' power play last year, excuse me, um, it would be the same thing every time. Lisa would win the face-off back to the point. Uh, Riley would pass it over to Marner. Marner would go for the slap pass across the ice. He'd turn it over. Other team would clear, and it would just be a cycle like that. Um, I think the Leafs have been much more mobile on their power play this year. I think they've been moving the puck, moving well, moving around a lot more with the puck and just keeping it moving the entire time. And I think that alone has helped them out a lot. You're seeing, you're starting to see Mitch Marner take some more shots on the power play. You're starting to see, um, you know, I, I would almost say it, you're starting to see the second unit make its presence known a little bit more. Like you said, Bunting's been great on the power play, and he's on the second unit. So um, I think you're starting to see a lot more unpredictability 
uh, unpredictability. Yes, that's the word. Um, when it comes to the power play, in terms of the penalty kill, I think the biggest thing for them this year, and I'm not taking full credit for this because I'm pretty sure I can't remember who it was on the on the broadcast, and I we talked about this on the lounge this morning. I think it may have been against the Kraken last week. Um, and it may have been Elliot Friedman that pointed it out. I'm not entirely sure who exactly it was. But the Leafs are so much more aggressive on the penalty kill than they have been in years past. And I think that's the biggest thing they've got going for them right now. You know, the, the traditional way of defending on a penalty kill is you've got your two forwards kind of hanging around near the point, guarding the, guarding the defenseman. And then you've got the defenseman ha- handling things down low and making sure the puck doesn't get back to the point or get close to the net. And... Instead, what the Leafs have been doing, they have been swarming whoever has the puck and forcing them to make these snap decisions, forcing them to make a quick pass or do something with the puck without really having the options and the time to do that. And it's been working for them. Um, I think that's been the biggest thing because you combine that with the fact that the Leafs have a lot of speed on their penalty kill. You've got Mikheyev out there. You've got David Kampf out there. You've got... Uh, any variation of Mitch Marner, Alex Kerfoot, Pierre Engvall, all these guys can skate. And that's why we're seeing so many shorthanded chances there this year compared to other seasons. You know, you're, you, 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 when you swarm a guy and you force him to make a decision in that moment, um, it, it creates more turnovers. That's just how it works. And because of that, you're, you're starting to see these skilled players like Marner get the puck a little more often, pass it up and, create these breakout chances that you wouldn't have seen in the past because the Leafs were so focused on playing such a conservative style of defensive penalty killing. And, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, that, that, that's the traditional way to kill a penalty. I mean, the whole point is to, you know, cover your net, make sure they don't score and get the puck out as soon as possible. But I think the fact that the Leafs are um, doing this and the Leafs have, have gotten so much more aggressive. I think it's been working in their favor because it's like you said, we've seen so many shorthanded goals lately. David camp had two in two games and um, it's working in their favor as far as I'm concerned, because they've been uh, um, clearly their penalty kill didn't work towards the end of last season. They're trying something new this year. Peter, you mentioned this morning that they hired Dean China with who's uh, been a, I think a big part of their penalty kill improving this year, nothing against Dave Haxtall, but I, I don't think his system was working too well for them in the end. Um, but the aggressive style of penalty killing, I think has been the biggest factor for them this year. Yeah. I mean, their penalty kill has been, has been special. And I think, you know, I, I've mentioned it before. I got to watch Mitch Marner in London and, and what he was able to do. And he was a big piece to their penalty kill when he played in London. He's a big piece again uh, this season in that pass that he made to Kampf. Um, on the one goal where he basically just gave him an open net uh, when he deeks Shesterkin out. Um, that was just like, that was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, just had him bite and, and gave him, you know, basically, basically a free goal. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're not sitting back on the penalty kill anymore. And that's what, that's what's made them so much more effective is that, you know, they're not sitting and waiting for shots. They're, they're, they're being aggressive. They're going for the puck. They've got speed. They've got Kerfoot out there. They've got Marner out there. I mean, I think I've seen Matthews out there killing penalties as well. So um, they've got guys that are, that have that speed and are able to get away and, and, and create those opportunities. And um, yeah, I mean, the effectiveness is there, but uh, yeah. Um, Peter, I know what you're going to say here, but I'm going to throw it to you real quick. Cause I know you, uh, you were looking up that stat for me. Yeah. Um, so this is according to Stat Muse. I've never heard them before, 
but they do have a track record of all or the top power play percentages. Um, you know, where I'm seeing the 2020-2021 Oilers, the 21-22 Blues right now. But the Toronto Maple Leafs are in second place at the moment with the top power play percentage. The top team, the top power play Montreal. percentage, Montreal Canadiens, 1977, 78, 31.9%. And the Leafs are sitting at 316 right now this season. Yes. Yes. So there so you go. If they continue. If it holds up. Yeah. If so it they continue, up. they'll be they'll be the second best power play of record mm-hmm. um, since 1917-18. And I know at, at you know you want to go way back. They didn't they didn't track power play percentage the same way they do now. But yeah, pretty impressive when you think about what what mm-hmm. this team's done and and the numbers and the the records that they've set along the way with guys like Matthews and Marner. But um, to to have a power play that's that's as effective as it is, um, you know, Peter. Any thoughts on on this power play penalty kill special special teams greatness that's going on in Toronto right now? Um, the power play it, again. By this time last year, we were ripping the hairs out of our head because you know how can this team struggle so much with the firepower that they have right now you're seeing quicker movement and been saying this ever since that time the movement has has got to be quicker you're seeing and it's been, and it also started with morgan riley too too many times he's dropped he's going to drop pass but then we see him catch the opposition off guard and he just goes into high gear turns on the jets enters the zone with possession and then he just snipes one past tris and jerry I know that, you know, the drop pass has been their go-to, but you know what? That's going to get too predictable and stale, and they caught on at times. If Morgan Riley can do what he did against the Pittsburgh Penguins a few more times per game, then that means everything about the Maple Leafs power play is completely unpredictable because you have Matthews and Nylander as a shooter, but now with Mitch Marner, you know, going on that streak that he went, He's not afraid to shoot right now. He's got a shooting confidence. You have John Tavares in front of the net. You have Jason Spezza, Michael Bunting, Ilya Mikheyev on that second unit. And then just to touch up on the power up before I get into the penalty kill, again, the movement has just been top-notch. It, yeah, at times it does look disconnected. But you know what? For the, the whole entire games, game, when they do get their chance and they capitalize, they make it worth it. And to me, that's going to be key going down the stretch and then to the playoffs because if you have a hot penalty kill and a hot power play, special teams are going to be a big difference maker in the playoffs. As for the penalty kill, um, you know, I'm going to be basically repeating. I would repeat everything that basically Alex said, but what stands out to me most is they're getting into the lanes and whether it's with an active stick or blocking a shot, they're in the right spot to, break the play up and then the play um the forwards are engaging to try and start a breakout and already go in transition which leads to the odd man rushes and that's to me the biggest thing that i've noticed so far where it's either a muzzin or a brody or a hall um maybe not so much a hall but let's add them in there they try and stretch the play up as quick as possible because you got the speed up front in marner kerfoot camps uh camps uh, speed is very underrated uh, Mikheyev, who, who's just, you know, got speed for days because we saw what he did against McDavid last year. 
You know, we have multiple players that have the smarts and have the speed to counter that attack on the power play or shorthanded to make it in an odd man rush. And we saw that back to back with the Kraken and Penguins. So to me, you got a really strong recipe for disaster to hurt the opposition um, when, if and when they make a mistake because they have the, the awareness, they have the speed, they have the skill. They got everything, and this is this is what's making them a triple threat: offense, uh, five on five, power play, and if they're uh, down a man. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the sign. It's a it's a sign of having good players too, right? Like you get you get guys like Marner who can go out and do what he does on on all all situations. You get guys like Nylander. You get guys like Kerfoot, who you know at the beginning of the season we were talking about Kerfoot being the possible guy that they leave unprotected going to Seattle. And now we're talking about a guy who's potentially having a career year offensively and contributing on the penalty kill as well. So, um, you know, David Kampf, you guys know how, how high I am on him. Um, he's having a hell of a year. I think he's quadrupled or, or you know, he's got um, six times what he, he produced last season. So, uh, and he had a great quote too about that, you know, getting the ice time and, and, you know, I don't know. It was just, rolling the puck. Yeah. He said, yeah. he said, it's probably because the Leafs control the puck more than the Blackhawks. That's, right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just throwing shade on his, on his former organization. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's where it needs to be. And the thing is the, the Leafs need to continue to progress in that direction. So I'm not saying you're going to have the second best power play the remainder of the season in the history of the NHL. I'm looking for a team that, you know, if they can produce at 25% efficiency, that's, that's good enough for me. Um, if you got a penalty kill, that's, you know, 89% of the time you're getting the job done. Uh, I think you're going to do all right in the playoffs. Um, but if you can continue on the pace that they are at right now, I think we're talking about a team that's going to be very dangerous. Um, you know, and, and, it's like with anything, boys, uh, abstinence is, is number one. So if, if you don't take penalties, you don't have to worry about that kind of shit, right? Uh, that, is not, that, that is not the analogy I thought you were going to make right there. I'm going to be completely real. Uh, I know. I know. I had to throw it in there. Late nights, Sunday nights. It's like it's like sticks in the six after dark. Um, yeah. Oh, man. Anyways. <laughs> I yeah. felt like it was pretty you tune in, fitting. You tune, into six, you tune into sticks on the six for a certain amount of time, and eventually we'll be talking about abstinence for some reason. I just felt it was <laughs> just wait long enough, and here's where we are. It was oh fitting God. kind of going into the trailer park boys analogy, right? Like, uh, uh, anyways, yes. that um, that would probably be a really Ricky thing to say. <laughs> he probably would have said it like assonance, though. <laughs> yeah. the fuck are you talking about fucking abstinence <laughs> fuck i'm not gonna wait till i'm fucking married to have sex fuck <laughs> uh, oh, i think we gotta change i just I, I went off the rails a little bit there i think we gotta change the it's name of bit. the show uh <laughs> anyways get ricky from trailer park boys in here man this would be a good episode yeah yeah while well, you guys were waiting for the reference and and yeah. we're at that point now so uh dubas had some choice words for for you know Nick Ritchie on his way out. Not, not, not necessarily just not necessarily tearing the player down, but more just kind of um, saying, you know, it is what it is. And, and I'll read you the quote word for word here. And this is from David Alter, a uh, friend of the show. Uh, when we signed him, I think everybody wished it was going to play out differently than it did. 
It's just interesting how it all goes. He had a lot of chances early in the year. They don't go in. The impact of that on confidence and chemistry is massive. And then Michael Bunting steps up. Kerf finds good chemistry with John. And it just doesn't really play out for Nick, right? And that's the way she goes. Sometimes she goes. Sometimes she doesn't. So I'll let you two take the reins on this one. Alex, I'll throw it to you first. I'm I'm just going to plug another tweet of mine just because, you know, shameless self-promotions here on the pod. This is why we do it, right? Um, <laughs> I said, you know, you know the old handshake meme where it's like, you know, me and then one other person, the handshake? Yeah, so I said, yeah. <laughs> me when I have a minor inconvenience and Kyle Dupe is talking about trading Nick Ritchie. Fucking way she goes, boys. <laughs> you know, that's – I. I I, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say. I'm a huge Trailer Park Boys fan, so that, that gave me a good laugh when I saw that. And, you know, Kyle Dubas, I'm sure growing up in, growing up in the Sioux and spending some time up there, I'm sure he's uh, – I'm sure he's no stranger to that kind of talk and stuff. You know, he, I, I know that to the media, he looks like the formal uh, glasses-wearing, you know, analytics uh, analytics genius, uh, boy genius kind of vibe. But you know that Kyle Dubas is – you know, he's got a personality behind all that. And I'm sure that he knew exactly what he was doing when he said, when he worded that quote the way he did. Peter, anything to add? Yeah. A uh, new season of trailer park boys is out on Netflix. So check that out. Oh, right really? Now. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, I, I think, I think it was a new one. I saw like a promo for it on my TV and I'm just Whoa, like, hold damn, on I gotta start watching that. I gotta, I gotta look this <laughs> up real quick. Hold on. Uh, before you, uh, while you're doing that, um, you know, every everyone was just just getting in on the uh, in on the fun with the whole uh, the way she goes kind of thing. Um, Nick Richard, uh, another friend of the show, um, tweeted out: "This move wasn't rocket appliances. It was really peaches and cake, and we were able to get two birds thrown at once. Kyle Dubas on trading Nick Ritchie, probably." And he also sent, uh, tweeted out a meme of, you know, Ricky's dad, way she goes, boys, way she goes. I I replied to that. And I'm just like, I'm just surprised Dubas didn't say, you know what? Worst case, Ontario, it was a bad signing. You just make a trade kind of thing, you know? And I was also going to, oh, God, I had, I had one at the top of my head. Um. Uh, I forgot the Rickyism right now, but yeah. Uh, what, what one of the things was, um, you know, what one of the things was survival of the fitness. I was going to try and find something like that, but at the same time, I, 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 I if I think of it, I'm going to come up with it and say it towards the end of the show, but I can't remember right now for the life of Peter, me. I really can't. Peter, not to throw you under the bus like this, but I'm looking at Netflix and it doesn't look like there's a new season of Trailer Park Boys, unfortunately. No? Okay, so then it was probably just advertising on Netflix then. And, it I may probably, have been. and you know what? Yeah. In that case, screw Netflix for timing. doing that because yeah. I think we all need another season of Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, you got my hopes up there, Netflix. What the hell? Um, and but Peter, yeah, so, there, Dash, so it was just probably just advertising. Dash 2, then, buddy. Yeah. Dash 2. Dash 2, yeah. Dash 2. Dash two. First little bit on waivers, now uh, new, new season of Trailer Park Boys. <laughs> We all have bad games, guys. We all have bad games. Did I ever tell you guys about the time where I met the uh, I met the Trailer Park Boys when they came to Kitchener? Oh. I met. So sorry. Go ahead, Peter. Oh no! I, I, before you get into your story, it's funny you brought that up because uh, when I first went to the university at my Frosh event, Randy and Leahy, rest in peace, Mister Leahy, were at my event, 
And obviously Randy out there with a shirtless, with his gut and everything, this, this skit was over. I just walk, I, I was walking back because I just stayed for that. And I'm like, yo, Randy. And then he just points at me and I point back to him. And I'm like, yeah, best moment ever. So I, um, <laughs> the trailer park boys came to uh, Kishner in December of 2019. So this is like right before COVID started. And um, my ticket to go see them was like 60 bucks and the ticket to meet them afterwards was an extra 80 bucks. And so I paid more to meet them than I did for the actual ticket and did not regret it at all because it was just a life-changing experience. And I didn't even realize this until after we took the picture, but I coincidentally dressed exactly like Julian. I had, I had the blue (laughs) jeans and the black shirt. And unfortunately, if anyone happens to be listening right now, they won't be able to see this, but I'm going to show you guys the picture right now. I don't know how, I don't know how clear that's coming in. But uh, it's not coming in clear at all. I'm sorry. I'll send, it, I'll send it to the chat afterwards. You can, you, <laughs> you, you can kind of you can kind of make it out though. Yeah, I'll send it to you guys afterwards. But yeah, it was great. Bubble stayed in character the entire time. I was talking to him about the best pizza joints in uh, in in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. So uh, it was it was a good conversation and it was a lot of fun. It was just too bad because I uh, it was after Leahy passed away, unfortunately. So mm. didn't get a chance to meet him. But rest in peace, John Dunsworth. But uh, yeah. Yeah, every, everybody, everybody else. Yeah, uh, Ricky, Julian, Bubbles, uh, Randy—they're all—they're all beauties. Oh yeah, I—I remembered my Rickyism. I am now not dash two. I'm only dash one. I'm back plus one. But um, I would have—I—I I, should have tweeted out if I was like Kyle Dubis or if Kyle Dubis is listening. He probably should have just said, "You know what." I'm not a pessimist. I'm an optometrist, you know, with, with stuff like this is it's survival of the fitness boys. And, uh, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. Worst case, Ontario, worst case, Ontario. Oh, well boys, worst case, Ontario. Let's talk about the, uh, the Leafs heritage classic jerseys before we jump away from the Maple Leafs. I want to get your thoughts on them because there's a lot of, they were very polarizing online. Some, some love yeah. them. Some hated them. I was kind of indifferent. I, I I don't mind the big T. I have an I have a roots hat when they partnered with the with the Leafs uh, with the big T in the middle. I I personally love it. I don't mind the arenas into the dark blue, and I personally love the navy blue. There's not much you can do with the Leaf jersey yeah. when when you when you all comes down to it. But um, quickly, real quick here, Peter, what are your thoughts on the Heritage Classic jersey? The navy blue reminds me of the blue sequence that they use for the Toronto Blue Jays jerseys, the, those new blues. Um, I, I Personally, I like it. I mean, okay, I, I, I get some of the hate towards it because it does look plain. It does look basic. But what are you going to try and do to try and revamp a jersey like that that was in the 20s and everything like that? You really can't work with that. And they've already, like, you know, updated – or try to bring back, you know, the Toronto St. Pat's, um, older logos. I mean, I, I'm just going to say this, this jersey is 10 times better than the reverse retro. Um, yeah. If I were to get one, I would get this one. But yeah, I, personally, I think I like it. I like the blue. I like the simplicity behind it. And you know what? Maybe sometimes less is more. You don't need to go over the top about that. And I know that I think, again, I think it was Nick Richard that posted this, going to the old school like early thousands 2001 2002 jersey where it had sort of like the maple leaf with the vein kind of thing and going back to that look that would probably be good but you know what 
the arenas one they haven't done that to try and bring that back into circulation i like it i i i, I again everyone's going to have their opinion I, I i think it's great yeah i mean I, I saw a tweet out there and i i'm going to pull it up real quick here because um it was one that uh it was when they post the video clapper cast hockey podcast tweeted First we had the jersey, jersey. Now we have the T-shirt, um, and uh, I, I thought I kind of got a, a good <laughs> chuckle out of that. But um, Alex, I know you've got an, a Toronto Arenas jersey. Uh, is right. this something that you uh, you kind of loved looking at when they uh, when they released these, or, or were you kind of on the fence with them as well? No, I was I was very happy with the jersey, and you know, truth be told, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not the biggest super fan of the Aretinus jerseys. I think the only reason the that I, uh, yeah, I, I love saying it like that. I think the only, the only reason I've got the one that I do behind me is because I, uh, it was on sale on the NHL website for like 27 bucks and no one's, I'm not saying no to that. At least no, Jersey for 27 can't. bucks. No, I had to order that on the spot, but, um, for real, like when it comes to the Jersey though, I was actually a huge fan of it. And you know, if I don't like a Jersey, I'm not going to be shy about it. I hated the reverse retro last year. I thought the, I thought that the ridiculous amount of gray on the Jersey just completely ruined the look. I thought yeah. that the blue logo on the blue base was stupid too. Um, but in terms of this arena's Jersey, um, I really like the fact that they seem to embrace the most vintage version of the Leafs as possible. Yeah. You look back to the Toronto Arenas jerseys from 1917, and it literally is just a blue sweater with a big white T on it. So, if you're gonna try and honor, if you're gonna try and honor something like that and make a Heritage Classic jersey out of it, you might as well go all out. And I really liked uh, what they did with it. I liked how you know if you look close enough, you can still see the arenas written across it. And I think. I think it's going to be another one of those things where if you see that Jersey in real life, um, it'll probably look better than seeing it online. I think Elliot Friedman said that on the broadcast the other, the other night too. And I've already decided that, you know, seeing the Jersey, I think they're available now for like, like 310 bucks or something like that. I'm not, I'm not really willing to pay that kind of money as of right now, but if the price drops eventually, or if I can find a cheap version of it, I'm buying one of those jerseys and I'm getting Jason Spezza on the back. Oh, I'm getting yeah. vintage it. on the most vintage jersey we've ever seen. So uh, love it. Yeah, I, I like the jerseys though. I think that I, I think they're nice, and I I don't think people are giving them enough credit for them. The one critique I would have is maybe the arenas it kind of blends in with the with the lettering because of the uh, navy on navy. If you had like a white outline, I think that would have pronounced it a little bit better. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mind it because I, I think they were trying to they were trying to blend the arenas in, right? Like they, they wanted yeah. it to be something where you had to get close up to, to see it. Um I love how they made it look like an old school sweater. Um they they kind of add that texture in the numbers. Um again, another another like small detail that you don't see unless you're really looking closely. But yeah, I I didn't have an issue with it. Um I, I I'd love to add one to the collection. Um Again, I, I'm I'm with you, Alex. I'm not paying 310 bucks for it, but uh, I'm sure we can get one a little bit cheaper down down the road when it gets a little bit closer. When the Heritage Classic is all said and done. Um, uh, but anything else you guys wanted to touch on with the lease before we we move over to the last couple notes here we have for the episode? I, no, sir, I, I, think, I, think, I think we. 
Sorry, I, I, I just talked over no, you. No, twice you first, right now. Peter. I insist. <laughs> so Canadian of you. So Canadian. So, Canadian. so nice. The Canadian um, standoff. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, we covered basically all the important stuff from this week. I mean, unless something else happens right now in the next, you know, minute or so, unless we get breaking news, then I guess we're fine. No. Yeah, to I was be, just going to say, we'll let the Leafs do the talking for us this week, and maybe we'll have more to talk about next week. I was going to say, two big games in the next couple nights here. Uh, four big points up for grabs for the Leafs, and hopefully they'll be able to get it done. We'll see. Uh, hopefully we'll see Soup bounce back. Um, before we jump over to the NHL news, I do want to jump into Olympic hockey. The Canadian women did it yet again. Um, Marie-Philippe Poulain did it yet again with the game winner. She had two goals in the game, the gold medal game. Um, Sarah Nurse had a, a an unbelievable tournament. I believe she had 18 points in seven games played. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, 18 points in seven games played, five goals, 13 assists. She was plus 19. Claire Thompson, top scoring defenseman for Canada, um, had 13 points in seven games. She was a plus 23. Canada actually had the top six uh, points getters in the tournament before Hillary Knight, who was seventh. Um, huge tournament from, from rookie Sarah Fillier. Uh, Natalie Spooner was up there. Brianne Jenner was up there. And as always, Marie-Philippe Poulain, I believe uh, she finished with six and 11 for 17 points in seven games. Brianne Jenner had nine goals, led the tournament. So uh, lots to talk about here. Lots to un- unravel. Uh, I believe the, the, uh, Marie-Philippe Poulain was offered an ECHL contract after the Olympics. She turned that down and actually instead asked that that team to help her promote women's hockey, which I thought was a great move on her part yeah. as well. But she's got to go down as probably one of the greatest Canadian women women's players. I tweeted afterwards. Um, she's, a, she's a for sure Hall of Famer. Uh, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic came back at me and said, yeah, first ballot, no question. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree with him more. I just want to get your guys' thoughts on, on the tournament, on the women's taking home gold, and anything else you want to add, Peter, we'll throw it to you first. You mentioned that the top, they had the top six scores in that tournament, but they had 10 in the top 20 and they could have had 11 had Laura Stacy just got an extra point or two and they could have made it 11 in the top 20 goal scorers over half of them Canadian women. This was absolutely, I mean, not to discredit, you know, the 2002, 2006, 2010 or 2014 teams, but this is the best team Canada on the women's side that we have probably seen I have seen in my time they were just so dominant from beginning to end in your face aggressive all didn't hold back at any point little hiccup against the U.S. but then again it's U.S. that's their main competition throughout the whole entire thing and they battled back they made every game count and of course Marie-Philippe Lain Again, I, I agree with both you and Scott, and I even said anyone who says otherwise, their opinion should not be counted because, let's face it, she is basically the GOAT. She is now the top Canadian hockey player, and she's up there with Haley Wickenheiser, Cassie Campbell. Um, you know, we're, we're going to throw in Kim St-Pierre, all, all the other greats that have gone Angela before James. her. Angela James. Um the list goes on and on. And Sarah Nurse, I mean, just breaking 
Haley Wickenheiser's record for most points in a tournament or Olympic tournament. I mean, absolutely fantastic. Brianne Jenner tying the goal record for most goals in a tournament. And like you said, Sarah Fillier too. I mean, this is, again, we're talking about Marie Philippe Poulin being the goal right now. Sarah Fillier is going to be that next generation Hold on to that type name. talent. Hold on, Hold on to that name. name. Yeah. He was impressive. Because in two in two tournaments time, I, I, I think I would love to see Marie Philippe Poulin play two more tournaments. But at that time, that torch is going to get passed on to Fillier. It's be, it's already being passed to Claire Thompson. It's already being passed to a number of other great players on this team. And again, probably the best Canadian hockey team uh, on the uh, women's hockey team that we have seen at the Olympics. I'm, I mean, again, that's probably going to be up for debate, but none were as dominant as this from beginning to end. Yeah, worth uh, worth mentioning Anne Renee Debien as well. In seven yes. games, she had a 940 save percentage, a 180 goals against, and faced 150 shots. Um, only only goaltender to play seven games and have those type of numbers. Um, your thoughts, uh, your thoughts, Alex, on the Canadian women bringing home gold and their place in the Olympic Games? Um, yeah, you know, man. I mean. 3.54 million viewers for a women's gold medal game that was at 11 o'clock at night. So to all yeah. the Rosie DeManos and the Michael Tracos of the world, you're fucked, respectively. <laughs> I'm not even gonna. I, I'm not even gonna try and be polite. Like, you know, if you were, if if you actually have a mindset where you want to strip these girls of something to shoot for like that, I mean, I or- think that gold medal game is enough to let is enough. To, it's it's proof in the pudding. It's enough to show you that, you know, you put the money into women's hockey and you invest, you'll get viewers. And I've said this entire time that if you don't watch women's hockey, you're missing out because I remember my earliest memory of women's hockey was in grade nine when I, when my school, uh, we, we, my school collectively skipped the, uh, our second period or, uh, our, our second half of the day to go into the auditorium and watch the, uh, um, their game against the States back in 2014. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact like it was just it was one of the most special hockey viewing moments of my life because our entire school the non-hockey fans and the hockey fans were just erupting every time Canada scored and you know I I like like I've been saying like you you invest in women's hockey and you let people watch it and if people more more importantly than anything if you give it a chance you'll find that it's entertaining as hell and um yeah I mean all the power of the women this year they did a great job they killed it um I think the women's hockey team was more exciting to watch than the men's hockey team this year, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And it was uh, overall uh, great, great to see for them. I really, uh, I really hope that the, the amount of viewers that they got for the gold medal game this year sort of inspires these higher up companies to take the next steps in investing in women's hockey. Um, yeah. Could I, I don't really have anything else to say that you guys didn't touch on already, but uh, watch women's hockey, support women in sports. That's all I can say. Yeah, again, I could be wrong, but I believe it it uh, brought on more viewers than any NHL game at all this season. Yeah. Um. So I mean, just that alone kind of tells you where this game's at and and where it should be going. And I uh, it, it is going to come down to people investing it in, and and uh, you know people just have to realize that this is a this is a great investment. Uh, it's t- it, the time is now. So um, keep doing what the keep doing what they're doing and uh, hopefully we see that step in the right direction. Um, only one real note uh, 
worth worth kind of chatting about when it comes to the NHL. And it's uh, the reason Brad Marchand is suspended for six games, which again was upheld by uh, Gary Bettman and the NHL uh, due to his his history of suspensions, his history of punitive um, repercussions from stupidity on the ice. Um, But maybe the most entertaining part about this is that he's suspended for six games because (laughs) Tristan Jari said to him, what about that fucking save? So, um, Alex, I'll throw it to you first. I, I, I just, I'm shocked that that's all that was said. Well, you know what? You know what shocks me even more than that is when you look back to what, Art, uh, what he said to Artemi Panarin earlier this year, and how he supposedly told Panarin, "Nobody in Russia likes you." And then he went to the media and said, Hey man, if this, I mean, if this is, if this is what's upsetting people these days and this is the softest league in the world, and then he's going to go out and get soft over that comment. Come on, come on, Brad. Like, listen, I'm tr- like, <laughs> I, I, we've talked we were about on your Brad good Marchand side for before. a few times. I know that's what I'm saying. Like everybody, <laughs> Brad Marchand was finally starting to win people over. And then he goes and pulls some bullshit like that. And it's just like, come on, dude, I want to like you, Brad. And you know what? If you put on the Leafs jersey, there's a good chance I would love you. And everybody would love you. We would all want – we would all be buying Brad Marchand jersey with number 63 on the back for the Leafs. But, yeah, I mean, when you set yourself when you set yourself up like that, there's nothing else that can really be said. It's just like you're going to call Artemi Panarin soft because you made a – you told him that no one in his home country likes him, and yet you can't handle being being told that – the goalie that made a save on you was proud of it. Like, come on, dude. That's I. I don't have anything else to say. That's that's pretty much all I've got to add. Uh, Peter, anything you want to add on Brad Sharman? I mean, Marshawn. Um, talk about freezing cold takes, eh? Um, like I, I mean, again, like like Alex said. I mean, I, this guy has been chirping nonstop throughout his career. You know, we've heard we, we you go back at some of the compilations and you hear the trips that Brad Marchand has said, man, he's like teetering on the line with some of them. The fact that that Tristan Jerry just said, "Hey, how about that fucking save?" Really? That's what's going to set you off. I'd be saying it every time. I'd be saying it every time now. Every save I, mean, I make on him, like. Again, if goalies are going to take note, if that's what's going to set Brad Marchand off, and every goalie should probably do that. Even Jack Campbell, the nicest goalie out of every single goalie or out of every single one in that position out there should do the exact same thing. And then, I mean, knowing Jack Campbell will probably say sorry afterwards, but, um, like, I, I don't get it. If that's all that it took to set you off to sucker punch a guy and then high stick him in the face... I really want to know what would really set him off that wasn't that, you know? Jack I don't, Jack Campbell would probably tap him on the shin pads and say, hey, nice shot, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> he would. Absolutely would. That's not even a question. And and let's face it, that's why, that's why we love Jack Campbell. Because he's in, he, he, we know that he wouldn't do something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have anything to say about it. I just... Like the fact that he testified in his little hearing with with Gary Bettman that that's what was said. Just, I mean, I'm Gary uh, Bettman. I'm walking out of there. I'm like, really? 
you're wasting my time because of that. If I'm Gary Bettman, I'd walk in front of a bus, but um, that's that's a tale for another another time. Um, anyways, we'll 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 jump away from that. Uh, I I did have one trade suggestion that came up on Twitter this week that I wanted to oh bring boy. to bring to the table for you guys and. Only because I want to see the pure shock on your face when I when I suggest this trade. Um, it's good conversation starter, absolutely. Um, if this guy was running my team, I'd probably, um, I'd probably be drinking very hard every night. Um, but yeah, so Daryl underscore six seven suggested that he would offer uh, Rodion Amirov plus our 2022 first-round pick for Ben Sherratt. Your thoughts? Jesus Christ. <laughs> for, those, for those who can't see it, uh, Alex just took his headphones off and walked away from the screen. <laughs> oh, sure, I, yeah. Okay. Why don't we just throw <laughs> Nick Robertson, Matthew Nyes, and Toby Nimella in there as well? <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> really? Is that dramatic enough for you guys? I like Really? <laughs> So my, my, my initial thoughts for it, guys, was like, I don't even think Ben Schrott's worth a first-round pick. He's not even worth a second or a third. No, and then you throw in Amirov, and I just, like, the suggestion, and, like, clearly it's a Leaf fan because, I mean, in his name, he's got the number 67. So he remembers, right? Yeah. He remembers. Um, but I just, I, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it. It's like, it's like Leafs Nation wants us to fail. They want us to fail. They want us to, to miserably go down in, in the history books as one of the, the worst organizations in, in the history of the game and trade away all assets for Ben Sherratt. And, I, yeah, I, I had to bring it up to you guys on the air because I, I wanted to get your, your reactions. And, uh, yeah, lived up lived up to my expectations. So, thank you. There you go. There's, you wanna, I just went to Cap Friendly right now. You want a real reaction right now? And I, I, so you know that trade with Carolina and Christian Dvorak? How the Coyote, or with involving the uh, Carolina's first round pick? The condition was the better of Montreal and Carolina's 2022 first round picks. But if either or both are top 10 picks, then the Montreal will instead transfer to Arizona, the worst of Montreal and Carolina's 2022 first-round picks. Cap Friendly is showing Arizona with Montreal's pick right now. So there may be a chance that the Montreal Canadiens may not even pick first this season. Don't tell our boys over at Habs Unfiltered. This is what I'm seeing on at Cap Friendly right now, uh, the, and it's the the better of the two. And if both are top ten picks, Montreal will transfer to Arizona. The worst of Montreal's first round picks, though, maybe because this is a top ten pick, maybe the later one does get moved. No, it'd be, it, it's only if they're both top 10 picks. So Carolina would have to be a top 10 pick, which they're not going to be. So, so, that, so they're, they're going to get a first round pick. They're going to get Montreal's first round pick. That's the way I'm, I, that's the way I'm understanding it. Anyways, I, I mean, you can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. And I highly doubt Cap Friendly would lie. 
in terms of <laughs> asset management of picks and everything like that. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It truly is a beautiful thing. Um, anyways, boys, another, another wonderful week in the books. Uh, Peter, aside from sharing with Montreal fans that they may not pick first overall, do you have anything else uh, going on this week that you'd like our listeners to know about? Again, I'm going to have to go back and and re and clear my mind and read the conditions of that just to make sure. But um, uh, still work, still working on you know that Connor Bedard and you know that Connor Bedard piece, and also looking at the. I'm pretty sure I mentioned this last week, but I'm looking at the top players from Jer Gardens J20 team who are probably going to dominate the NHL draft this year. So couple draft pieces right now still in the works beautiful beautiful and uh, alex anything coming out your way yeah uh peter mentioned it on the maple leafs lounge this morning i'm hopefully hoping to get a piece out over the next couple of days on uh the leafs uh <clears throat> power or uh, penalty kill or just the special teams in general and how amazing they've been lately uh but other than that no i i don't have anything uh too important on the horizon might grab a takeaways piece this week we'll see but uh yeah well, boys, I've got a three up, three down Maple Leafs piece coming out for the week. I'm also working on a piece for trade deadline, which I kind of hinted at earlier in the episode. Aside from that, uh, as always, everyone, thank you for joining us for episode 72 of the podcast. Big shout out to Ryan Zeus Fleming for our intro. Um, and thank you all for tuning in and continuing to follow us. We're up well above 500 followers on Twitter. You guys are awesome. Um, if you want to continue to follow us, you can hit Peter up on Twitter at P Barracchini. Uh, you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes, or you can follow Alex at a Hobson media. You can follow the podcast at sticks in the six pod. That's S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D head over to Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you download your podcast, make sure you hit the download, hit the subscribe, follow along for all the great stuff coming your way. Um, rate review, head over to YouTube, check out our content there as we hope to continue to bring you some great news down the road. Until next time, episode 73 next week for Peter, Alex, and myself. That's it for Six of the Six this week.